everyone. Welcome to this week's Chapter by Chapter Recap. We are taking a look at Ezekiel 18 through 36, which was our assigned reading through Bible Discovery and Bible Discovery TV. So we're going to get you caught back up so you can continue reading on. If you don't know, if this is your first time here, my name is Corey Babechko, and I'm always joined by my husband, Matlock. Hey. Hey. You ready for Ezekiel? I am. It's a really interesting book, isn't it? Yeah, it's full of visions. It's very... Uh... Visually stimulating. Yeah, it is yeah. visually stimulating. And I mean, even like from from the sense of he he saw so many interesting things, but then the people around him would have seen so many interesting things because he physically acted out so many things. <laughs> yeah. So just a very visual guy, which, yeah. <laughs> which is cool. That's very cool. Okay, Ezekiel chapter 18. So Apparently, the people in Jerusalem, so remember Ezekiel's in Babylon, but the people in Jerusalem were complaining that God was punishing them for the sins of their fathers, not for their own sin. So God actually corrects this thinking in Ezekiel chapter 18, how he's actually punishing them for their sin as well. The one who sins is the one who will die. Now, it is true that the fathers the of, of this people had set them up to fail in a way. They had created a sinful culture. They had passed on evil practices and, and tainted religious practices. But it is also true that God had given these people true prophets um, whose words and actions and the situations that the people found themselves in, all of these things pointed back to God and called the people back to God. Um, therefore, everyone was also answering for their own actions, their own reactions and responses to God and his word. Now, Ezekiel 18 ends with this call to repentance uh, and that if the people would just repent, then they would also live. Ezekiel chapter 19 records a lament or a mourning for the kings of Jerusalem. So um, Jehoahaz is specifically mentioned here. He was taken to Egypt um, as an exile. And then either Jehoiachin or Zedekiah is meant. They're not mentioned by name, but, but there's this king who's taken to Babylon who is mourned. And we know both Jehoiachin and Zedekiah were taken to Babylon. So it's one of these. Okay, so in Ezekiel chapter 20... We have a repeat of something that we saw in last week's recap where the elders of the people come to Ezekiel in the flesh. So the the elders of these exiled people in Judah come to Ezekiel again. And again, God rejects them. Remember last time God's like, you set up idols in your heart. Why, Why should I even respond to you? So this time though, in Ezekiel 20, God has Ezekiel confront these elders with the sins of their entire people, of their ancestors. So we get to go through the history of Israel's rebellion against God. And then God has Ezekiel ask them if they're going to stop doing the same things as their ancestors. So again, he's not accusing them of their ancestor's sin, but he's saying, and you are doing the same things. So are you going to stop doing the same things? At the end of the chapter, Ezekiel says, sovereign Lord, they are saying of me, isn't he just telling parables? So essentially, they're writing Ezekiel off. You know, he's good to learn from. The things that he's saying, they're good to learn from, but they're not direct prophecies against us. So it's this way for them to get around having to change, well, having to decide that, about God's That's word. really relatable because you even think about 
how the Bible thought of, oh, it's just parables, like in the sense of it's just precepts, things we can yeah. use for our everyday life. It's good stories, right? It's, but we have to we have to interpret it and apply it. There's wisdom in it, and it's like there's wisdom, yeah, that, but not authority. Yeah, right. So it's like that same principle applies even to the prophets, even to the you know even yeah. years down the road. 3,000 years later, it's still being applied. Uh, so people yeah. are like, people are so often like now, there, there's a, but what does that really mean? Right. What does that really mean? Here's what I think it means. Right. You're like, okay, but there is a clear meaning that you're kind of <laughs> yeah. doing a somersault over. Yeah. Ooh. What is meaning, Corey? What is it? What is, what I know is it? Yeah. Ah, so many warnings. Of attitudes. Oh, I know. For us to glean from this, it's not just the history of Israel. It's also like huge yeah. warnings for us. That's exactly, and that's it. that's also a sense of stubbornness. If you're not willing to see that there's some sort of truth behind something, it's because you just want to have things your own way. Yeah. It's like this. Yep. It's 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 all really intimately connected. Ezekiel chapter twenty one. So this is all about how Babylon will be used as a sword of judgment against Judah. So. There are specifics that are given in Ezekiel's prophecies, like real specifics. He says the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, on his way to war will stop at a fork in the road and he will use Babylonian divination. There's a few, like I think three or four kinds of divination that are given in the scripture that he's going to use to help him choose between attacking Rabbah uh, of the Ammonites one of the cities of the Ammonites, or whether to go for Jerusalem of Judah. And all of his divination is going to point to Jerusalem. Uh, then there's this discussion about how King Zedekiah and the priests of Jerusalem will be forced to take off their turban and their crown because they won't be fit to wear them any longer. So God, like they're not fit already to wear them, but they are wearing them. So God is going to force them to take these off their heads, these symbols of authority. Ezekiel chapter 22. This is all about how God has, he's had it. He's at the end of his rope. He has reached the end of his frustration with Judah, the kings of Judah, and all of their repeated moral stubborn failures. So there's this picture that's 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 painted for us in Ezekiel 22 of the kings and the priests leading the people into sin and the prophets whitewashing the sin with false promises and visions. So we've got a twofold system. The kings and the priests are leading the people into sin, which is the exact opposite of what they were supposed to do. And then the prophets, rather than telling them the truth and exposing and being a lens of understanding of the people's behavior and of God, God's character, rather than that, they're just whitewashing it all with, with, a, with, a, with a fake paint uh, with false promises and visions that everything's going to be okay and this really isn't sin and God's fine with it and yada, yada, yada. So Ezekiel chapter 23 is a, is a pretty graphic chapter. It is not my favorite chapter. It's pretty awful, but it has a very good point. So the point of it all is that the dependence that Israel and Judah had on the nation of Egypt was a personal insult to God. Just like adultery is a personal insult to a spouse. So think about how hurtful that would be. Adultery to a spouse is how 
Israel and Judah's dependence on Egypt was a personal insult to God. Mm. So God's bringing it to this personal level. But then he calls Israel and Judah prostitutes. He says, you've ceased being a spouse and now you're a prostitute. Your lovers have no faithfulness to you. And in this case, they will actually destroy you. So Samaria, the capital of Israel, was bad and was already destroyed. And now Judah is worse. So Jerusalem, that capital city, will also be destroyed. Ezekiel chapter 24 then. So God gave Ezekiel a prophecy to physically act out uh, on the day that Jerusalem was besieged by Babylon. So on that very day, God God says, here's what you're going to do, Ezekiel. So God has Ezekiel put on a copper cooking pot filled with water on this really built up fire. And then he puts meat into this cooking pot and he 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 takes the meat out as it's done. So he he randomly takes meat out and then let the pot cook empty until it gets so hot that it glows. The copper begins to glow um, so that all the impurities may be burned up. Okay, so this is an image of the judgment of Jerusalem, that the meat will be cooked, it will be removed, um, and then everything will be charred and the city will be cleansed by destruction. The heat, it's just going to get hotter and hotter and hotter and everything's going to get burned off. Ezekiel's wife dies also in Ezekiel chapter 24, and God does not allow Ezekiel to go through the normal physical mourning practices of the time, which would be things like wearing sackcloth, putting ashes on one's head and face, sitting outdoors, cutting your hair, shaving your beard, um, singing laments and wailing or crying over it. Instead, Ezekiel is commanded to mourn quietly, inwardly. And that would would have been extremely shocking to the people because he's doing none of what is expected of him. He's the when opposite his of wife, his character too. Yes, opposite of his character. He's always showy. You're right. Yeah. It's a really good point. But be quiet and just sit there and mourn inwardly. It's shocking to the people and it's going to cause them to ask Ezekiel, why are you doing this? Mm. Why aren't you mourning properly? Um <clears throat> And Ezekiel is supposed to respond that because the delight of their eyes, which is Jerusalem and the temple, will be destroyed and they will not be able to mourn, but they will groan inwardly. Mm. Ezekiel chapter 25, this records prophecies against the nations of Ammon, Moab, Edom, and Philistia. So... To Ammon, it said, it's essentially said, because you rejoiced when Judah fell, your judgment is coming. To Moab, um, they joined forces against Judah, so their judgment is coming. Uh, Edom is said to have taken revenge on Judah, attacking her people as they tried to escape the Babylonian invasion. So Edom will face judgment because of that. And Philistia will face judgment because they were hostile to Judah as well. Ezekiel chapter 26, this is a prophecy against Tyre, and it's going to last for three chapters. It's long and it's interesting. Um, Tyre was a really uh, important port city on the Mediterranean Sea. Tyre saw the fall of Jerusalem, according to Ezekiel 26, as an opportunity for more trade. So like, oh, good, here's an opportunity for us, a business opportunity. And Ezekiel chapter 26 prophesies the total destruction of Tyre. So 
it's interesting because the prof, uh, it, it prophesies the success of Nebuchadnezzar against Tyre. So historically, Nebuchadnezzar was able to defeat the mainland city of Tyre. But Tyre was actually two cities. There was one on an island just off the coast and a city on the coast. And they were both seen as Tyre. So the island city historically survived until the time of Alexander the Great in the 4th century BC. So then moving on to Ezekiel chapter 27, there's this lament over the city of Tyre. So there's a description of how amazing she was, what materials were used in her building, all the craftsmen and the technology that was utilized, the skill of the sailors and the merchants and the diverse places she did business with, the lists of goods that were imported and exported and traded through Tyre, just really pumping Tyre up is this really magnificent place. But then it says, like a ship in a shipwreck, or like a ship in a storm, you will be shipwrecked. And how all of these merchants will mourn over the greatness of lost Tyre. Mm. So Ezekiel chapter 28 moves on then to specifically prophesy against the king of Tyre. So there's a description of the pride of Tyre. And God's response is, you think that you are a god, but you will die like a mortal man in battle. And in a prophecy addressed to the king of Tyre, Ezekiel uses uh, creation imagery from Genesis. So the king of Tyre as a cherub in Eden, uh, the Garden of Eden. And the fall of Tyre is compared uh, to, some believe the sin of Satan, others believe the sin of mankind. It's very, very similar. But some take this actually to be a prophecy directly to Satan, and others uh, believe that it reflects uh, reality, it, it reflects Tyre, but it uses the symbolism to it's using symbolism to typify the fa the fall of Tyre to show that this has happened before. Just as Satan fell, so you are falling too. Right. So essentially this sin of pride is what it boils down to. The sin of pride is devastating and repeated by fallen creatures over and over and over again. Sidon also makes an appearance in Ezekiel chapter 28, and it was like a sister city. It was related to Tyre, and she too will fall, the city of Sidon. What's interesting too is with this, with Tyre specifically, yeah. is that you go from nation to king to essentially spiritual ruler. Mm -hmm. That's how, so that, that you have those that, that trifecta essentially <clears throat> of... When you're judging a king, you're judging a nation. When you're judging a nation, you're judging a king. And that what's behind that king right. is this, a spiritual being. So here you have, like, in that sentence specifically, we're talking about it being Satan, you were anointed guardian cherub. Yeah. I placed you on the holy mountain of God. Yep. And that holy mountain, obviously, we know is is, is Eden, right? Uh, you were blameless in all your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. So it's like you have this thing where it's like, you clearly, he's not a guardian cherub. He's actually chastising him, saying, "You think you're a god, right? Right?" And then he go, and then he points to an Elohim, a lower a lowercase g god, and he goes, "Here's an actual case of a god who was lowercase g that fell, right? right? Uh, in right. that in that in this instance, yeah, because in a sense, Tyre, like Tyre, they they pump up the the description of Tyre is so." pumped up that it's it's amazing it's this paradise it's this eden right that is man-made right 
And so the king is like, I am a god right. of this. Right. And so it's it's very poetic and very apt that that comparison is made there. Yeah, that's exactly so right. So then people are just split over what, what whether it should be just a comparison or if there's spiritual truth of like Satan being behind well, the yeah. king of Tyre. Um, and, and, and the reality may not be as simple as a yes or no. Yeah. Well, I think it's, um, I, I think just based on the context of it, I think it, you can't really get, because in Genesis itself, there's no indication that Satan was created as a guardian cherub. Right, right. Though, you know, it kind of works in this in, in this way because he's there at the very end. A cherub is, right. is holding a flaming sword so that Adam and Eve can't get back, right? So it does make sense in this context. And I see there's no issue with someone saying that this is truly Satan. You're speaking to Satan through the king. Right. Right, as a, as a judgment. Right. I see no issue with that. I saw, I I. Do you have an issue if you're going to say that there is no spiritual truth to it, that it is purely symbolic? Because at some point, um, no, there is a mutual connection between Tyre and, and Israel that they have. The the, the Mesopotamian religions were mm-hmm. very similar in this area. Um, having said that, I think that to just make it an abstract symbol that's void of any thing that it points to besides the king right. doesn't go along with the rest of the text when other and other points where it's actually talking about saying all these other things. Right. And, and and even when we get into Daniel, we're going to see that it was believed and, and it and it teaches that there is a spiritual reality behind physical authority. That's right. And, mm-hmm. and you know we can get into that as obviously when you get into Daniel and yeah. even so when Paul talks about it. Yep. Right. Right. So it's Absolutely. like to kind of diminish that view to be like, oh, it couldn't be right. Satan, mm-hmm. I think is a very naturalistic slope. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a stretch. Yeah, I it's think a it's stretch. a stretch. There's I, stuff that we are going to be uncomfortable in the scripture that the scripture doesn't fully elucidate. It doesn't fully right. explain. It is what it is. And there's a whole worldview and scope that you can go into about why God's talking to an angel mm-hmm. specifically. Mm-hmm. And that's too big for something like a recap. But um, it is. It is. <laughs> but yeah, it's really exciting to talk about. But apart from that, it's... Uh, I definitely think this is referring to Satan. It's actually where we a lot of get our, a lot of our demonology and angelology from from these verses. And it's really packed. It's really interesting to read about. But um, it is. There's a lot of content in there. A lot, yes. a lot. All right. All right. Okay. So let's move on to Ezekiel 29 then. Um, so this introduces a really long section dealing with Egypt. So chapters 29 to 32 all deal with the nation of Egypt. Uh, remember, Israel and Judah had this really complex relationship with Egypt, sometimes enemies, sometimes leaning on Egypt for help. Um, so, okay, chapter 29. The Pharaoh of Egypt is envisioned as this great monster lying in the streams of the Nile River. So this great monster is probably the Nile crocodile, you know, famous and feared even in the ancient world knowing to only exist on the Nile. So Pharaoh as this great monster in the Nile will be caught and brought into the desert. Um, It's talked about how Egypt has been a false friend to Judah and Israel. So Judah and Israel have depended on Egypt and only ended up hurt. Uh, Egypt would be taken captive for 40 years, according to Ezekiel chapter 29. Um, And then they would be brought back, but they would never again rise to the kind of power that they had before. So historically, Egypt did go into exile under Nebuchadnezzar and returned under Cyrus the Great of the Median Persian Empire, okay? So 
it's also said that because King Nebuchadnezzar um, did not and will not get the kind of spoils of war that he was hoping for uh, when he destroyed Tyre, he's going to take it from Egypt. He's going to look to Egypt uh, to, to pay for his war. Ezekiel chapter 30, this records a lament over Egypt, mourning over Egypt, uh, basically how it's going to fall to Babylon and be scattered, including the Judeans who fled there uh, after the fall of Judah and Jerusalem. And they fled there against the message of God to Jeremiah, remember? And Jeremiah also ended up in Egypt. And that's all we know about Jeremiah. Ezekiel chapter 31. So really interestingly in this chapter, the nations are compared to great trees like those in the Garden of Eden. Egypt is the greatest of these trees, uh, but it will be felled, uh, it will be chopped down, and animals will take up residence in its fallen body. So it's still going to be inhabited, but not like its former self, not like its former glory. Ezekiel chapter 32 is a mourning over the Pharaoh of Egypt specifically. So really interesting things are said about the Pharaoh of Egypt. Like you are a lion, like a monster of the seas and streams. Again, you know, probably based off the context of that Nile crocodile. The people will catch you in a net and throw you on land in the open field and the wild animals and birds will feed on you. There's also a lot of uh, um, apocalyptic imagery uh, utilized in Ezekiel chapter 32 that that's really meant to tell us in no uncertain terms that this is the end of Pharaoh. You know, things like the sun will be covered with a cloud and the moon will not give its light. Really apocalyptic language, darkness and blood, right? This is the end. So there's this vision of Egypt going down to death where all other conquered great nations are uh, um, are dead and waiting to greet her. Uh, there's also this interesting description of warriors who died in a time in times of peace in verse 27 that says this, but they do not lie with the fallen warriors of old who went down to the realm of the dead with their weapons of war, their swords placed under their heads and their shields resting on their bones. Though these warriors had also also had terrorized the land of the living. So this is talking about the kind of death that all warriors wanted, right? In a time of peace where their bodies and their names are able to be honored by those that outlived them. But unfortunately for Egypt, their death is not going to be like this. They're going to be like the many nations who did not die in times of peace and therefore were honored by their people. Rather, they will be killed in a bloody takeover. So that's what's going on in Ezekiel 32. Okay, Ezekiel chapter 33. This is how all about how Ezekiel is a watchman. It needs to be a watchman. In other words, he's responsible for sounding the alarm, for warning the people, um, but he's not responsible for what the people do with that warning. He's just responsible for actually giving the warning itself. There's a call to Israel in chapter 33 that all is not lost, that God really does want to save them, but that they must turn from their wicked ways. The people are accusing God of being unjust, but the message is that actually it's the people who are unjust. God is and has been just all along. So the fall of Jerusalem, 
in that besiegement by Babylon, when Jerusalem falls, Ezekiel is freed. He had not been able to speak since the death of his wife. He had to groan internally. Remember, he wasn't allowed to wail. He was not allowed to show outward signs of mourning. So when when Jerusalem falls, Ezekiel's released from this. And God, through Ezekiel, summarizes the sin of the people in this way. You eat meat with the blood still in it, meaning you don't respect life or the giver of life. You look to your idols and shed blood. You don't respect or serve God, even though you say you do. You can't serve two masters, right? It's that that whole idea. You rely on your own sword, meaning they're relying on their own strength, their strategic and physical prowess, rather than trusting in the word of God. Um, they do detestable things, meaning they go against the covenant law. And you defile your neighbor's wife, meaning they're plotting evil against others. And God asks, should you then possess the land? So it's this, again, another explanation of of what's going on. All right. Ezekiel chapter 34. This chapter is a prophecy against the shepherds of Israel. So the leaders, the kings, the priests, the prophets. God accuses the leaders of, of Judah of getting all the benefit of being shepherds, like food, clothing, luxuries, prestige, etc. But not actually doing the job, not leading the people or taking care of them in any real sense of those words. God said... Mm -hmm. No, and particularly the weak ones, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back. The loss you have not sought. And with force and harshness, you ruled them. Mm-hmm. That is a scary idea. You think about that today. But sorry, continue. No, it is. It really is so much as applicable. Like, I know. The principles of this are, are they, they don't change. I know. Okay. So God himself in Ezekiel chapter 34 says that he will retake the role of shepherd of Israel and how he will shepherd with true justice. So the people rejected God as king. It didn't go well. And now God is going to take that back. He is going to be their king again. He will shepherd with true justice. And he will give judgments, righteous judgments, between the sheep. Uh, and, the, and his servant David will be placed over the sheep. Ezekiel chapter 35 Okay, so this is another prophecy against Edom, the nation of Edom. Here it's called Mount Seir, which is just like the air. There's a specific mountain in Edom and the area around it. Uh, So again, it's this idea that the nation of Edom was treacherous in its relationship with Judah and how they saw the Assyrian and Babylonian military advances into the territory of Judah as an opportunity for them to take the land rather as something that they should be mourning over and and careful about. And Ezekiel says, since you, God says through Ezekiel, I should say, since you did not hate bloodshed, bloodshed will pursue you. Since you did not hate bloodshed, bloodshed will pursue you. And the last chapter we are going to recap for today, Ezekiel chapter 36. So Ezekiel prophesies, this is really cool. He prophesies to the barren lands of Israel and Judah that have been ransacked by the Babylonians. 
He prophesies to the uninhabited places and towns specifically that they will once again be filled. They will be rebuilt. They will be homes for people, for animals, for crops. Israel and Judah will go from being a scorned landmass to one that provides for its people again. So Ezekiel 36 looks forward to a time when the people are back in the land and God gives them, it's specifically said that God is going to give them a heart of flesh that will replace their hardened hearts of stone. And God's spirit will be in the people. He will dwell in the people so that he can move them to follow him. He can communicate with them, inspire them to follow him, and they can live for him truly. And I'll I'll read it for you. Verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And it keeps going. But right there, I'll give you, remove a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Mm -hmm. What's interesting here is that, there's a lot of things, obviously, to unpack. And when we think about the New Testament, but specifically, too, even in just like a, a basic way of reading the Bible, we often just say, oh, all flesh is bad. Spirit is good. It's like, right? Yeah. That you shouldn't do that here. It's like the heart of flesh. What's he saying? Our hearts are hardened. Anybody wants to give you a heart of flesh, the flesh that he designed was good. Mm-hmm. Right? He wants to give you that flesh that's that's actually moldable, like that clay. You think of that, the way he made us out of clay. How we were created to be. That's exactly right. Not not to have a heart of stone. And the heart of stone harkens back to this idea of idolatry. Mm-hmm. Like you're an actual idol. Like it's not true. It's a, you're, you're hardened off. You're stubborn. You're in your own ways, right? You're stiff-necked. Um, and it's just a beautiful parallel of the thing that's to come, that, that's obviously through Christ, uh, that, that that's the spirit will be in you, will literally be within you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Uh, I don't know. It's just it's a beautiful, beautiful statement. I don't know if you want to chime in more about that. No, it, it really is. I don't really have anything more to say to say about it at like now, but it's definitely going to come back up as we continue to like read through the prophets, and then as we get into the New Testament, it's going to come back up. Yeah. But it's always amazing how how when you pay attention to the details of these prophets. I mean, it's not even hidden details. It's right out there in the open. Yeah. That um, the the theology of Christ, the teaching of Christ. Is all throughout the Old Testament. Yes. And it's plain to see if you pay attention, if you, if you actually read it, if you actually study it. And, and uh, that's why we're here, because we really do believe that when you read and when you study through the entire Bible, you gain so much more than just reading chunks of it or just listening to sermons. Sermons are good, don't get me wrong, but it, nothing replaces personal study and personal reading of the Word. Right. Nothing does. All right, guys, if you have any comments or questions uh, about Ezekiel, then please pop them in the comments below and Matlock and I will read them and get back to you as soon as we can. Uh, For now, that's it. We're going to sign off and we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under donate. Your support really means a lot to us.